Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Like, is there a bizarro way to make this club, which is like, I go out and because I have experience in raising capital for tech startups, I go raise a million dollars or $5 million or $10 million to make a D4 soccer club. Like, yeah, I could probably do that, but that's not what I want to do. Like, I want to build the thing small and scrappy from scratch, and I want to teach people how to build it. Welcome to the Coffee and Football Podcast. I'm Sebastian Alvarado, and I'm the host of the show where I sit down for a coffee with some of the most interesting and influential profiles in the game. Today's guest is Dennis Crowley. He's one of the most prominent tech and now also soccer entrepreneurs in the country. He was the co-founder of Dodgeball, which was sold to Google. In 2009, he founded Foursquare, a location-based service where he today acts as the executive chairman. It's been one of the most watched tech companies in the industry over the past few years, and it's used by more than 50 million people every month across 100 countries. His most recent startup is Stockade FC, a team he started less than two years ago in the Hudson Valley, just north of New York. This is as much a conversation about a tech entrepreneur's journey as it is a story about how to create a team from scratch and make an impact from day one. Dennis is one of the most energetic, down-to-earth, and personable profiles I've met, and he shares tons of insights we all can learn from. So without further ado, let's get into it. Dennis, welcome to Coffee and Football. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. I always have to ask, since the theme is coffee and football, do you drink coffee? I am drinking a coffee right now. There's a, a spot I stop at every morning on my way to work called Think Coffee on Bowery and, and Bleecker. How do you typically have it? Well, even though it's November now, it's about 65 degrees out, so I went iced coffee today. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll do that until it drops below freezing, and then we'll switch over. <laughs> I agree on that. Um how are you doing today? 
good. Just kind of hanging out here. We're filming, we're filming, we're recording this in, at Foursquare World Headquarters here in, in Soho. Uh, day's been going pretty good so far. I was out of the office yesterday. I feel like, you know, I'm a little, a little out of it because I, uh, you know, just wasn't here all day. But I'm excited to, you know, talk Stockade for a little bit and tell you about stuff that's going on. Fantastic. And you're, you're still active here with Foursquare. Today you're the executive chairman. Uh, you were the CEO for many years. What does it entail to be an executive chairman? Yeah, I was, um, you know, I started this company, uh, which now has about 200 people at it, a handful of offices. I started around my kitchen table in the, in the East Village. And, you know, it was never started to be like a business or a company. It's like we just sat down and we were making things for phones that we wanted to use. You know, kind of before you know it, you need, you need to start to hire people, then you have to start paying you know, you have you know, your payroll and insurance and you need someone to manage that, you need office space, start building up staff, you know, then we're 10 people, then 20 people, then 50 people. And so I was CEO of that company for, of this company, you know, for, I don't know, we started in 2009, is that seven years, eight years? And then just in January, I decided to step back from the CEO role and I handed it to our COO, look at the operations guy here, his name is Jeff, and he's awesome. And, you know, also our, our chief revenue officer, this guy named Steven, uh, who's great. So the two of them are working together running the business. And, um, you know, that, that freed me up to work on more creative stuff here to, to work on, you know, kind of like some R and D efforts we have building weird stuff with our technology that isn't meant for everyone to see, but just meant for us to use internally, you know, do some evangelism around the company. And then, uh, you know, my wife and I also had a baby in May. And so it enabled me to, um, you know, we have a great paternity leave here. So I took two months off, but like I wasn't thinking about work. I wasn't really stressing about work. And so that was, that was great. Is that company policy? Oh yeah, yeah. So everyone, um, you know, everyone gets two two months off. So you can take the eight weeks over the course of um, over uh, over the course of a year. So it's like a really, it's a pretty generous policy. Is um, that both paternity and maternity? It's it's paternity and maternity. But I think we differentiate between primary caregiver and secondary caregiver. I think primary caregiver might get a couple extra weeks off. I'd have to double check it, but like it's a pretty good one. And taking taking some time off to spend with the baby was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I bet. Yeah. Um, what's a typical day for you today? So take me through your, uh, your morning routines and then from there on. Yeah. I mean, here I'll, I got my laptop in front of me. Let me go through my schedule. Right. So we blocked off some time for this, uh, for this interview. Uh, there's product meetings that start at 1130. I have to meet with our communications team in the afternoon about like the speaking engagements that I do. Like I speak at conferences. I, you know, do, I go on TV and do podcasts and stuff. Not for, you know, I do a couple for Stockade every now and then. This is like fun, but the, everything else is, all the Foursquare stuff is work. You know, it's a lot of just like meeting up with different, I'm looking at my schedule now. It's meeting up with different groups today and just syncing up and being like, Hey, this is the thing that, you know, you know, my, my job as executive chair is to keep us kind of on track. So you have like this North Star vision for what the company should, should become. And, you know, it's like turning an oil tanker sometimes. You just got to like, can't make big turns. You just kind of got to make sure it's keep steering in the right direction. And so, you know, I kind of travel from meeting to meeting and group to group. And I just listen to what's going on and just make sure that like we're all kind of rowing in the same direction. Uh, we have a board meeting tomorrow. So a lot of our investors will fly in from other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And, you know, I got I to prep for that. So I'm looking at my schedule being like, man, I got to find some time to prepare for that. And I don't know when that's going to be. We'll, we'll figure it what out. <laughs> what does that preparation typically look like? Um, you know, take a look at the deck, get a bunch of thoughts together about the things that I'm working on, you know, have a, have a list of questions that we, we need from the, uh, we need to get answered from the board, you know, like, um, we've been doing this for a long time and, 
the best use of, of, I think, any board of directors is not, like, you never go to the meeting and say, hello, well, let me just tell you about all the great stuff we're doing. Right. It's more like, listen, we got five problems we don't know how to solve. You you all are very experienced. What do you think of the answers to these problems? Like, that's the best way to get use out of any board, like, whether tech company, you know, nonprofit, whatever, whatever you're running. Uh, it took us years to learn that lesson, though. We used to just, you know, we thought it was like reporting back to like mom and dad, like, hey, let me tell you about all the stuff that we're doing today. You know, yeah. it's no, no, no. It's like, this is, you got to teach us how to run this business. You got to help us build this thing. So we've gotten good about that over time. Yeah. And you seem to be a pretty big advocate of uh, transparency, which we'll talk in a, in a little bit about as well, even with the with the soccer team that you started and you've been writing about it quite a bit and you've been talking about all the fi- financial and set out the good and the bad. So yeah, we... We, um, you know, since the beginning of, of Foursquare, we've been running this this place as a pretty you know, transparent organization. You know, like I've I've worked at a couple of big companies. I worked at Google before. You know, I worked at a couple other startups, and it always bothered me that I didn't know what was going on in the closed doors. Like maybe I shouldn't be in those meetings, but I kind of want to know what's going on. And so, you know, one of the things that we've always done here is like, you know, do a company meeting. And since the you know days when we were five people or ten people, like. I would just be super honest with the staff. Like, this is going well. This is not going well. We need this to go better. Uh, we're meeting with these investors. We're meeting with these partners. We hope this deal goes through. It sucks that this deal didn't go through. Here's what the board deck looks like. I'll walk you through all 60 slides. We've been really good with that. And, um, you know, that's been kind of inspiring to me because I've seen that when you, t- when you treat part of building the company and some of the company meetings and you treat it almost like a class, like, hey, while you're here, I'm going to teach you all how to do a startup. You know, we've had 10 startups come out of people that have left Foursquare um, and have started their own things. And some of them have gone on to be incredibly successful. Some of them have been acquired. Some of them are not generating revenue. And that's 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 like the best thing ever to see. It's like you were here for a couple years. You might have here for two years, maybe for four years. You left. You started something else. And you hired people. And you're doing the same thing that we did when we started this. But like, I think you learned how to do a lot of it while you're at Foursquare. And that's like... That's some of the best stuff to come to come out of here. And from my perspective, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, we're based in New York. When we started, it was very uncommon for tech companies to be based out of New York. You know, in kind of like our genera- generation of, not, I don't know if that's the right word, but like our cohort cohort of, um, of startups is like us and Tumblr and Etsy. And it's kind of like those are the big three at the time. And, you know, now it's like there's tons of tech stuff going on here, right? And it's no longer like an anomaly that you have a startup in New York. It's like, oh, yeah, you're part of the New York tech scene. Like that, that wasn't the case when we started. And, you know, I think that's another, you know, great part of the Foursquare story is we've been able to contribute to that legacy of New York becoming like a real tech ecosystem. I mean, it was happening for years before we started doing anything. But, like, I think this is the... This is the the generation of tech startups that's actually sticking and it will continue to be a thing in New York going forward. Yeah. And we start seeing similar hubs kind of taking after that in several other cities, both, oh, sure, both yeah. here and, and internationally. Yeah. Like uh, there's, you know, they, they pop up everywhere. Like in, in Berlin, they've got their centers. In Brazil, they've got, and, and um, we, we were in Rio for the, for the World Cup and we met people that were running the startup ecosystem down there. And really anywhere in the world, any major city has, has been like, we need some Silicon something, you know, like yeah. it's not Silicon Valley. It's not, you know, Silicon Alley, it's some, something else. And some of them d- are actually don't have the word Silicon in them, which is great. But yeah, it's just like the, the startup hub for a lot of these cities. Are there any um, routines you have in the morning in terms of readings to stay up to date, both in your day to day job, but then also in, in what's going on with soccer? Yeah, I'm just, I'm on Twitter all the time, like almost embarrassing, 
amount of time. Like I might actually be addicted to the platform. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, so in you know in the morning we got get the baby now, right? So take this morning. You know we took the baby out of the crib and she slept in our bed. You know, starting at like six o'clock, and then you know, she, the baby was kicking me in the back, and I'm like, I can't sleep. So I kind of rolled over, and I was just going through Twitter for like an hour. And it's a, you know, it's a mix of tech stuff, it's a mix stuff of soccer. You know, it's all it's like what's going on in the soccer world, it's what's going on in soccer business. You know, it's like there's um, all this chatter about dif- different leagues in the U.S. and you know that that's a lot of fun to kind of listen to that. And then you know, also consumed by the by the election right now and just all the nonsense that's going on. So paying attention to all that. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? I'm from right outside of Boston, about 40 minutes outside of Boston uh, in the suburbs. Uh, it's a town called Midway, Massachusetts. What can you tell me about that place and in which ways has it shaped you? You know, I don't know how much, uh, I don't know how much, you know, living in the suburbs did. I mean, like I, we used to drive into Boston and I was fascinated with the city and I, I like the city more than the suburbs. It's just like you had to drive 45 minutes to get in there. You had to have access to a car to do it. You know, I had to get a ride to the train station, which was 20 minutes away if I want to take the train in. So it was it was inaccessible to me, but rather fascinating. Kind of grew up in the middle of the, of the woods, in a sense. So we spent a lot of time playing in the woods and making forts and making paths and making maps and things. You know, I, I think I'm definitely, uh, you know, shaped by my you know, my, my family and my parents, you know, my dad is an entrepreneur, ran a business for, um, for many years, recently retired. He's you know, actively involved in, in like local town politics now. What kind of a business did he have? Uh, I was a electrical contracting company. So they did lots of communications and kind of like base, like tech work, not tech in the way that we think about startups, but work to make, um, you know, transit systems and subway systems and metro card and easy pass type systems, stuff like that. And then, you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she was always there being super supportive of everything that we did and, and always a cheerleader for all the things that we were doing. And, um, you know, I think I definitely get kind of my entrepreneurial spirit from my dad, and I think I get the, you know, resilience to just do the thing that you want to do, and who cares if anyone cares about it or not. I get that from my mom. So I think it's a it's kind of a good mix. What's the most important advice they give you? You know, my mom always said... uh you know, do what you love and the, and the rest will, will come. And it's such like, I remember, you know, I got laid off once from a, a, a job here. You know, like tech scene was going away in 2000. My mom told me, like, I remember being on the phone. I remember exactly where I was in the city, walking down Bleecker Street. And, you know, I was on a cell phone. Cell phone, I had cell phones back then. And then um, I was like, don't worry about it. Just keep, like, keep doing what you love and the rest will come. And I'm like, mom, it doesn't make any sense if I don't have a paycheck. Like, I'm not going to be doing what I love when I'm, you know, get evicted from my apartment. But it's like, ultimately, it's in the big picture, it's it's good advice. You know, it's like, don't get a job that you hate just to get it. Go find something that you like to do and keep plugging away at it. I like, I give a lot of talks to students and entrepreneurs and, and stuff. And I always repeat that advice from my mom. You know, do what you love and the rest will come. And everyone call like some people call me out. I'm like, that's such bullshit. I'm like, it's actually, it's actually not. It's like, whoops, it's bullshit in the moment, but it's not bullshit when you look at it in the in the sense of like your life. And like, did I take this job or this job? Did I leave the city or did I stay here? Did I work on the thing I wanted to, or did I just say, oh, I'm not going to do that? You know. And so that I think that's pretty good advice. My dad's my, <laughs> my dad used to always joke in the early days of Foursquare. He'd say like, you know, we were getting all this press for the companies. Like, Dan, you can't eat newspapers. You know, being like, <laughs> the press doesn't matter. It doesn't put, you know, it doesn't put money, you know, revenue into the company. It's not paying people's salaries. I, and I, I always, I, it's, it's also kind of a silly piece of advice, but I always think about that. It's like, it's not just enough to, you know, tell a great story about what you're doing. It has to be some like 
meat on it too and you have to be able to you know turn things into a business and make things you know last and stick along for a long time so did you once you were about to enroll into college and, and from there on did you have any ideas for what you wanted to become uh yeah i had um i had all the stuff i, I liked doing in, in high school right i used to um you know like i was into computers way back then this is like 1990 in like the early 90s, right? I was on AOL and it was a service called Prodigy and I would go on in, in the forums and we would talk about skateboarding and street art and video games and, you know, we'd make little magazines and hand them out that was about skateboarding and street art and video games and, you know, you'd print them out in a photocopy. Like, I liked publishing and I liked, um, I always thought I wanted to be a journalist or I always thought I wanted to be a, like a magazine person. I knew I wanted to do something communications based. So I went to, uh, I went to Syracuse University, which has a great communications program called, called Newhouse, um, after the newspaper moguls. And when I was there, I kind of just bounced around to different majors, like different communication majors, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and this is around the time that the internet was starting to happen. And so, you know, before college, I had read about when you go to university, they have supercomputers with really fast internet connections and you can use a web browser called Netscape or Mosaic. And I was like, I can't wait to go to college and play with this stuff. And, um, you know, then I started doing some publishing online. I wasn't writing anything. I was just putting pictures of my friends up like, hey, look at us. We had a great time this weekend. And, you know, just became fascinated with things on the Internet and all the, you know, people making companies from scratch. And we had, you know, we had built all sorts of weird tech stuff while we were at Syracuse, um, you know, experimenting with video conferencing, which is in the super early days. And did you know how to be a developer or programming or uh, I didn't, um, I knew how to make web pages, which is different than making database things, right? There's like static web pages that don't do anything. You just put it up and it stays there. And then there's, you know, dynamic websites that talk to databases and they, yeah. and they change based upon who's using them or what they do. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So I moved, I moved to the city and, you know, I've always wanted to build those types of things. I didn't have the skills. I wasn't good enough at math to get into the computer science program at Syracuse. I couldn't even take any classes. And then when I got to the city, I remember just being fed up and, you know, some, some guy sat next to it, a book like two inches thick. And I was like, learn how to do this in 30 days. And I'm like, I'm just going to learn how to do this in 30 days. And I would, you know, stay late and come in on the weekends and just work my way through this guy's book that he just left on his desk. You know, and that's how I built a very, my, my first company was this thing called Dodgeball. And I built a prototype for it out of basically from that from that book the learn asp in 30 days book and it barely worked but like the point is like i had this thing i wanted to build i wanted to build like a city guide for new york that was you know based off of the reviews you know that regular people would write and i mean that didn't exist yelp didn't exist city guide was the city search was the thing that people use which kind of sucked and uh because you know no one could contribute to it it was just like one editor would write a review i'm like everyone should write the reviews so it's kind of like a big big idea at the time and then we hacked together a prototype for it and then that's what started this whole journey of like building software for cities how did the idea come um well for the early dodgeball stuff which was you know build a city guide that anyone could contribute to it it just came from being in new york right and so this is around uh, 1999 2000 and you know new york was was changing very quickly so you know um i don't know or i might have been living in midtown at the time i don't remember or the West Village, living in the West Village. And then um, I'd hang out a lot in the Lower East Side. And the Lower East Side was like every week there was a different, like a different street that you could go on because there was new businesses there. Like yeah. it went from being really dodgy to being like super, not super gentrified, but like, oh my gosh, you want to explore this because if I go one block further than I went last week, there's a new restaurant, there's a new bar here, something awesome. And it was, you know, like I, I grew up playing 
video games and all this stuff and like exploring the city felt like exploring video games like go a little bit further go find something new find this awesome thing and you know you go to the you go to the existing city guide websites and they, they didn't have any idea what was going on, on the lower east side they never even heard of the streets that we hung out on i'm like this is so broken that some editor is going to come here two weeks from now and write about these places then leave and it's going to be out of date tomorrow like that's stupid like let's just let's build something that we can you know we can contribute to and you know, that is the thing that teaches people about all the stuff that's going on in the city and so, you know, it just came from doing the thing that we wanted to see, right? So, like, a big a big thing that I kind of rally around and I try to get other people to rally around is, like, there's something that you see in the world, uh, something that, you know, there's something that you want to see in the world and doesn't exist, like, you should just go make that thing, right? You can sit around and talk about it with your friends, you can, you know, sit and wish that, you know, Facebook would make it, or you can just get to work and just make it, right? And so that's the approach that we've always taken. It's like, I wish this thing existed, it sucks that it doesn't, why don't we just build it ourselves? And so, you know, like Dodgeball got me into do Vindigo, this other company. And then, you know, Vindigo kind of opened my eyes to a whole bunch of stuff. I ended up going to, you know, I got laid off from there. I ended up going to, back to grad school at NYU. And I went to this like weird art and technology program. My thesis project from, from that was, uh, you know, I worked with my buddy Alex and um, kind of dusted off the old Dodgeball code. And I was like, let's make this work, but we'll make it work for cell phones now. That sounds like a good idea. Uh, and then, you know, Dodgeball turned into a company. The company got bought by Google. We, how did that acquisition happen? How did the, the Dodgeball This was, this was yeah. only a few years into the... Yeah, this is project. this is like, I was in grad school, what, 2002 to 2004? Is that right? Yeah. We graduated in 2004. You know, we, we were building software for cell phones, even when it was almost impossible to build self, software for cell phones. And we were building stuff that helped me and my buddies just find each other after work. Or after school, it's like you would go to a bar and check in and then all of your friends would show up. And it was, you know, there was like 50 people in New York using it. But then we started getting some press for it. You know, Newsweek wrote about it and Time Magazine wrote about it. The New York Times wrote about it. Like, here's the crazy thing that the kids are doing on their cell phones. And then, you know, we started speaking at conferences about, hi, we... You know, we're two random kids out of NYU, and this is the thing that we built. And I'm honored to show it to this room of developers in San Francisco. And we did that. And, you know, one of the talks we gave, there were people from Google in the room. And they're like, we don't really, you know, we don't invest in companies. But, you know, we like to bring those companies in and, and make them part of what we're doing here at Google. And, and uh, you know, that's it was like super, super lucky. Like we, you know, the, the service probably had 10,000 users, 10, tens of thousands at the time. And then, you know, that got us into Google and we met people there that helped us build it into something bigger. And how long uh, did you then stay with uh, under the Google umbrella? Uh, we stayed at Google for about two years and we were trying to build, do like trying to turn Dodgeball into a thing. And I think the timing was just off. This is right after the Google IPO and they're really doubling down on search and mobile was brand new and no one had figured out social yet. This is right around the time that Twitter started becoming a thing and Facebook started looking less like a toy. And, you know, we, we just, it, the timing was off for us. And so we, we weren't able to build Dodgeball as much as we wanted to. So we, we just left, you know, it's like, um, we're just not, we're not as busy as we need to be to do the stuff that we want to do. So we, we left, we left all the dodgeball stuff behind, you know, Alex, who is, you know, my partner in building that stuff, he went and got another job at like an agency. And then I worked, I got another job working with some friends, building games, you know, but ultimately like I found that was just wasn't the thing I, I needed to be doing. And then I took, I don't know, I was kind of lost for about a year, maybe a little bit more than a year, like kind of depressed actually. And then 
you know, we just had this moment. It's like, let's just build this thing again. Like, if this is the thing we want to do, like, let's just make another version of Dodgeball. Because I felt so strongly and so passionately about, like, what it did and what it was supposed to do and what it could do in the future. And, you know, when we started that company, we said, let's just build it again. Two thousand and nine, you then decided to start Foursquare. Yeah, it was it was like that summer of two thousand eight. I was just getting really itchy because like wasn't working on anything. I didn't have a job. I, like, there was no jobs I wanted to get, and you know, really wanted to build this this thing again. And we started doing, you know, we were built like hacking on prototypes of things that were city guides, but also games that could also help you find where your friends were. And it's like, could you put all those three things together? Could you make software that motivated to people to do to do things they haven't done before? Like, could you make a game that um, rewarded people for going to 10 bars in a night? You know, could you make a game mechanic that encouraged people to go to Brooklyn or, or visit neighborhoods they haven't been to? Like, we're really fascinated with those types of ideas. You know, we threw all this stuff together in a product called Foursquare, and we polished it up, and we launched it in, what, in March of 2000, 2009. What was the, the vision? How big did you think this could get? I remember one of our investors asking us, like, when will you hit 1 million users? And I think I, I laughed out loud. I'm like, we will never hit 1 million users. That's crazy. Because we had never built that anything that big before. You know, like Dodgeball topped out at, I don't know, tens of thousands, 30,000, 50,000. And that was a lot of users for us. So to think like, holy cow, we, we're going to get a million users. And But then we had a million users four months after that, you know, because like I had never experienced that type of growth and scale before. Um, like, oh my God, there's thousands of people signing up for this thing every single day and they're telling thousands of people about it. And it just, I mean, it just grew like crazy. And so, you know, we were at, a, we were on a pace where we were getting a million users every month and then we just stopped counting how many, like, we don't even count how many people sign up. We count how many people use it now, um, which is like the, the thing that really matters. And so, you know, these days, like what, we're eight years into Foursquare, we always talk about there's about 50 million people around the world every month that touch something that we make, whether it's the apps or the website. Um, and so it's like, hey, that's, that's pretty good. It's a big audience. Like that's building stuff that touches lots of people. How did you stay up with, you know, with that fast growth that's the leader of the company? What were the things that you were doing in terms of learning to become leader of all of a sudden you have a team of 30, 40, 50, now up to... 200 people yeah it's um it's actually a really good question um we weren't doing a lot i probably should have read more books on management stuff um i read a lot of i was reading blogs and i was doing i was meeting with my investors regularly and the investors would just teach you how to do this stuff if you if you had an if you if you're able to, to form a question like listen i got this guy he's really unhappy at foursquare uh for these five reasons what do i do to make what do i do to make these two people work together how do, I, how do I do this? You know, because like, you know, my other experience is just hanging out with friends and if your friends don't fight like that, but employees fight with each other and, you know, you, you would just learn from them. And then, you know, this is around the time where, you know, investors started writing long blog posts about management techniques. You know, one of our investors, Ben Horowitz has been like an awesome advisor and mentor to me. He's a guy that runs this PC firm mm -hmm. called Andreessen Horowitz, wrote an amazing book on this. Uh, called the hard thing about hard things and you know i read that book and i was like gosh like a lot of these stories are about us or or at least i lived through the same story that someone else you know went through and then ben wrote about it you know you just you just kind of learn as a, as you do it and i think like 
you know, like the leadership here in the early days, I mean, even now, like we're, we're kind of normal, well-adjusted people. We're not psychos. We're not crazy. We're not egomaniacs. Like kind of a lot of stuff comes naturally, but once you have problems, you have to recognize the problems, come up with a plan for how to fix them. If you don't have a plan for how to fix them. You ask someone, Hey, investor, this is the plan. Hey, you know, fellow tech entrepreneur. Hey, friend that's running another company. How the hell do you solve this problem? And, you know, you, you try to get three or four solutions to choose from and you choose the best one. And then you do it, it either works or doesn't work and you learn why it worked or didn't work. And then you, you know, rinse and repeat and try it again. And so this is, I mean, there's like a big ecosystem of, um, or network of people that build companies, right? And so like if I get something that's not working, I just reach out to my buddies that run other companies and say, Hey, how'd you deal with this? Or they'll, they'll ping me and be like, Hey, did you ever deal with this problem? I'm like, Oh, uh, I didn't, but this person did. So why don't you go talk to them? Like there's like this big back channel or kind of like, you know, um, just thread of, of entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs. And I think that's how a lot of the stuff gets, gets done and solved. What's next for the company? What's the vision? You know, it's like the, we're still very much true to the original vision. You know, I think the original vision was like make software that makes cities easier to use. And uh, we've done a lot of that. Like you can take Foursquare anywhere in the world and it will start chirping at you and be like, whoa, what are you doing in Tokyo? Here's five things that you got to do that are within a quarter mile. Like we built that. Like that's amazing. Like that's the, you know, we, we wrote a thesis about some in grad school. Someday software will exist and it's going to be amazing and dream about it now. It's like we built that stuff. We built the stuff that we dreamed about in like 2000. 2004. That's a really satisfying feeling, you know, but there's still more stuff to build. We got like, we got all these crazy ideas of stuff that we want to do. Like a lot of the technology isn't even the phones yet. You know, you talk about like people with augmented reality or people wearing earphones and the phones actually speak to you and you speak back to them and you're talking to these agents and AI and machine learning. Like there's a lot of stuff that's got to get built. And like, we're still building on it, which is cool, you know, but I think that the big change over the last couple of years for us has been, you know, like, this idea of, you know, make software that makes cities easier to use, like that applies to consumers. Like I build this piece of software that you use and you have a great time when you go, you know, you go home to Chile or whatever, um, and it helps you, you know, guide you through the cities. But that also works for businesses, mm -hmm. right? So like the apps that we make, they throw off lots of data, you know, about where people are and where people have been and what they like and what they don't like and where they were before and where they went after. And we can use that data in an anonymized format to do all this amazing stuff. Like we can figure out like, you know, heat maps for neighborhoods of, okay, people that shop at these stores, they also go to these places. You know, when people want to put a new retail location or restaurant down, they might talk to us and be like, hey, can you tell us if the foot traffic on this particular street, like what are the demographics? Like we know that because we know where all the phones are going. You know, um, hedge funds use our data to make stock predictions and trade stocks on financial markets. Like we're able to predict how many people move in and out of Apple stores and what the stock price should be. Like how how many people move in and out of Chipotle restaurants and how, do, how does that affect the stock? Um, like this is crazy stuff that like we didn't think that we'd be doing when we were building this stuff around my kitchen table. But like this is what the companies turn into. And it turns out it's like it's a phenomenal business. And so now there's a big part of the company that's building all these like enterprise and, and um, kind of business to business products that help agencies and you know ad agencies and brands and marketers and urban planners and hedge fund folks and retail location scouts. Like, you know, it's, it's a whole it's a whole different side of the business that's performing really well right now. One thing I'm re really fascinated by is in the tech industry overall, 
these amazing valuations that mm-hmm. we hear about companies. And uh, I know that Foursquare, at one point, you might read in the media, you know, they're valued at $600 million. And then a couple of years go by and it's like $200 million or $300 million. Like, do you really care about that? Or how do you deal with that both practically within the business in your role and and then just personally? Yeah. I mean, the only reason you care about the valuation is... Um you know, because it affects fundraising rounds and like the amount of dilution that employees take, the, the value of the company. And then, you know, when you think about like, is the company going to get acquired, uh, you know, acquired someday? And otherwise, it's just a distraction. Like to think about what the valuation is today. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Like the company's performing really well. You know, like we're having lots of success with the, you know, the products that we're building. And so it's like, you know, we're not trying to sell the company. The employees are psyched about the stuff that they're building. You know, we're on this upward momentum. So it's like, who cares what it is? But, you know, you're right about like it kind of you know, like the public perception of like what the valuation is. I mean, that's how outsiders talk about companies like, oh, they're now this or they're now this. It's, it's, it's the roller coaster, right? You know, like I think people looked at the early versions of what we were and they're like, this company's going to grow up and be Instagram and we're going to have, you know, a billion users. And it's like, well, we don't have a billion users. And they're like, oh, well, then it's and it's it's useless. This thing is a piece <laughs> of shit. And it's like, it's actually not like we have a ton of data and look at the stuff we're doing with the data. And people are like, oh, my God, look at the stuff we're doing with the data. This company's amazing. And, you know, we've been through that ride over and over and over again. And, you know, it's 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 fun now because, like, everyone loves what we're doing. I was at a conference yesterday, and people are like, oh, my God, you work at Foursquare? Like, you're doing all this stuff. You guys are on a tear. You guys are doing amazing. You know, that's like, that's that's fun. But I've also been to the conferences where they're like, oh, you work at Foursquare? Like, how's it going, man? You know, but, like, that's like that's like two or three years behind us. So it's – um. You know, it's it is like the roller coaster analogy is a is a really good one. It's just like a really long one. And right now, you know, this the ride's a lot of fun, right? Because we're having success and we feel like we're doing pretty well. And kind of unrelated or somewhat related, since we're going to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, same goes for for soccer teams. It can be a matter of a few games that you're yeah. doing well and, and fans think that you're going to win. And, well, sports, and then, and sports in general, in general like, you know, yeah. go through the, these dynasty periods. Exactly. You know, I grew up a fan of the of the Red Sox and the Patriots. And when I was growing up, the Red Sox couldn't win anything. The Patriots couldn't win anything. You know, and they're dominant. Like, Red Sox were dominant for a long time. You know, you just, any of this stuff, when you look at it just like year to year, season to season, day to day, it's just like a blip, you know? It's like, whatever, it's one season, one data point. Then you look at like 10 years or 20 years, of a team grinding away, a company grinding away, you know, whatever it is. And you start to see like, okay, there's a real story and a narrative here. And like, you start to see those ups and downs. So. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
in getting in on on your soccer side of things and uh, starting a soccer club from scratch. What was your um, first involvement in in soccer? Your first memories with it? I played. Um, you know, I was like six years old. I played on a, on you know like the youth league. So I was on the green team. That was that was what was called the green team. I got a trophy for being on the green team. It wasn't any good. From what my parents tell me, I played. I was usually right back, and I was there like picking the flowers out of the ground, picking the, the weeds <laughs> out of the dirt. It wasn't doing a hell of a lot. Um, you know, like I, I didn't really play growing up. You know, my brother played. My brother was, I uh, played in high school. Uh, but by that time I was in college. You know, my buddies in, in high school played and Med- Medway had a fantastic uh, soccer program. And, you know, I watched my buddies go on to, um, you know, win the, the state championship. And I think we were like division three or something, whatever it was. Um, so I was always kind of, you know, I wasn't involved, I wasn't playing, but I was aware uh, you know, aware and a, and a fan. I'd go and watch my buddies play. I don't think I really, really got into it until, um, you know, it was through like, through Foursquare in a sense where, you know, we were working all the time. And then, you know, around the time of the, the World Cup, uh, 2010 World Cup, my brother was like, we should, we should go. We should go to the World Cup. Cause he, you know, he had gone to some games when it was with my dad. I have a brother and a sister, by the way, and they're awesome. But he had gone to some games with my dad back in Foxborough, back in Massachusetts when 1994. I didn't, I didn't yep. know what year it was. I don't know why I didn't go. Why didn't I get tickets? He, Jay, my brother went with my dad. I got left out of it. But anyway, so John, my, my brother John was like, we should, we should go to this one in South Africa. And, you know, Foursquare is just such like a crazy, shit show of a ride i was like okay let's just do it let's just do it well i haven't taken a vacation i haven't taken days off i work on the weekends like let's go do this thing and we flew into johannesburg and um we were there we dropped our shit off at the hotel and we went right to the, like the village center where you could watch the games and i was there for 10 minutes before i was like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever seen in the world like you got all these people that have been you know saving up for years and everyone's you know got flags painted on their face and they've got you know wearing flags and wearing their colors and it was just like this is this is it this is what global sport is and you don't get that stuff in the u.s like you cheer for the red sox and the red sox win the world championship but they've never played a team elsewhere in the world right like oh so that that stuff drives me a little batty and it's a very different kind of fan it's a, di- yeah, it's a different thing yeah but like going to the world cup and the, the u.s was already out of it at that time they got eliminated i think like a week before we we left but then you know like if you look at like what was it we were playing algeria and when donovan scored that game it's like at the very end or either an extra time and you know, that the bar that we were at, Slancha in, in the East Village just went yeah. nuts. And it's just like, you know, I hadn't I hadn't had that connection to to stuff like that in a, in a long time. And, you know, then it was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to I'm really like into this. And we went to the went to the World Cup and we saw a bunch of matches and that was fantastic. I ended up traveling, starting to travel a lot for work. And so I was going to, you know, I'd, I'd go back and forth to, you know, to London or to uh, Barcelona. There's a big mobile conference in Barcelona. Every time we're there, it's like someone's like, let's go to a Re- Real Madrid game. Let's go to an Atletico game. And I'd go and I was like, this is, I mean, just slowly being like, this is the, like, the best thing I've ever experienced ever. Like consistently, like all these matches. And that, that was kind of it. You know, it was around that time I started playing too. You know, that moment that Donovan scored that goal, like all my buddies and I, it's not super corny now, but it's a huge pig pile at the bar and everyone's celebrating. One of my buddies, who my buddy Randy, who we work together on the stockade stuff now, he's like, we should put a team together. Of course, we're like 10 beers deep. And he's like, we should all get a team together and we should all be playing. And we did. We, You know, a couple months later, we started playing together and, you know, I, I hadn't played in forever. Right. And here I am playing with these kids that played in college and some of them played post-college. And um, and this is in some of the downtown. This is, yeah, in the, in the you know, Chinatown field with the cage yeah. around it. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing here. But and it was a super, super steep learning curve. But it was it was awesome. Like, I, I really I love to play now. I'm still I'm 
still awful. You know, I'm, I'm awful in pickup leagues. I'm awful <laughs> in the New York City leagues you play, and I still, I still have a great time playing. You know, for me, it was a lot of, it was like a, a great kind of um, juxtaposition between like the stress of having to run four square all the time and, you know, being the captain of this team, so to speak. And then, you know, being the, the right back on our team that like can hold it down defensively, but like is definitely not the captain of the team, you know? And so like, I feel like the sport in a lot of ways has helped me get through a lot of the drama at Foursquare over the years. Then how did the idea come about of starting this team up in the Hudson Valley? Oh, uh, I mean, this is, this is such a good story. We were at a bar in Brooklyn one night and we, you know, our team was called Alph- Alphabet City, which is the neighborhood in New York. You know, we, we play on a, what, six aside league and, you know, over beers at this place called Angry Wades, we we're having a, um, a discussion like what would have to happen in the world for our team to play the Red Bulls, right? You know, because they're kind of aware of the open cup, but like, how does it actually work? Well, first of all, we need 11 guys, right? We need 11 guys in the field. And actually, they have to be better than us because we all suck. Well, okay, then what would we do? Then would we enter them in a different league? And like, you know, it, no one knew the answer. This is probably some way to do it. Let's talk about something else. I was like, no, no, no how, how does this really work? And then that's why I, I kind of got on the internet and I was like, I really want to know, like, what, what would have to happen for that? And that's, I learned about the different leagues in the city and, you know, qualification through USASA. I learned about the NPSL, the PDL, USL. Like, I didn't know a lot of this stuff a couple of years ago. Um, and it's just, you know, just doing a lot of research that, you know, helped me, helped me figure it out. And then, you know, next time we got together, I'm like, well, here's how it works. Like, you know, I got, I got 11 guys, you, get, you know, at least you can have, you know, 18 guys on the bench. And then, you know, it's like you, we could, we could go through this way or we could put a team in this particular league. And that's like, you know, like, we're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to play. But what if we all work together and we, and we made something like this? You know, like, it's not crazy, right? Like, is it? I don't know. And then, you know, it's just it kind of a bug in the back of my head. Like, why can't we, why can't we do something like this? And then around the same time, I went to, um, Maybe like a month after that, I just happened to be at the New York Cosmos versus NYCFC U.S. Open Cup game. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Cosmos are D2 and ASL. The uh, NYCFC is, is D1 uh, MLS. And, you know, it was like a kind of a rival for soccer nerds, people that understand the pyramid and that the teams don't get promoted. And, you know, D2 is playing D1. It happens you know, in New York. It happens, you know, once in a blue moon type of thing. Um, and we went to the match and the Cosmos won. And, you know, it's 10,000 fans at Cosmos Stadium, uh, smoke bombs going off. And the, remember, the Cosmos have not been, you know, they were a huge deal in like the, what, the, the, the 70s. 70s and 80s. W- yeah, yeah, went away for like 20 years before someone decides, hey, we should build this team again from scratch. And I'm in the stands rooting my, you know, rooting my heart off for the Cosmos. And, I, you know, because of the underdogs and they're playing against a D1 squad. And, you know, it's, it was awesome. And, you know, I'm just having this moment of like some someone who's probably here at the stadium had the idea to bring this team back from the dead, did it, put them, you know, put a squad together. The squad's performing well. And they just beat NYCFC in the Open Cup. I'm like, this is the thing. This is what we're going to do. Right. I don't know who did this, but this is what we're going to do. And um, now what? Where do you do? Where do you get the players? And, you know, we're, we're up on the, you know, in the Hudson Valley. We're, my wife and I have a place in Kingston. We're sitting on the porch. And it just is like, this is it. This is where you do it. You do it up here, obviously, right? You know, we were playing pickup a couple miles down the street. There's really talented players there. You know, there's areas got tons of strong collegiate programs. Um, you know, legacy of great coaches and great players. And I was like, this is what we'll do. And I remember going to the pickup leagues and taking, you know, pulling one of the guys aside and being like, why hasn't anyone done this? Why hasn't anyone started up here? Like, people would go. People would, would care. People could play. And, you know, he said to me, he's like, He's like, I can't, you know, we can barely get people, enough people to show up for pickup and remember to bring the cones, right? Like, how are you, you going to organize something like this? And I was like, I'm, if there's one thing I'm good at doing, like, I can, I can organize that, you know, like, 
I've done enough of this stuff. I can get people excited about it. I put the plan together, kind of delegate the responsibilities. We can probably we build this out. And I was like, I'll be the I'll be the guy that starts it. Do you think that not having traditional or deep soccer experience or having worked in the space had any impact on that? Because you seem like very positive, and my perception would be that a lot of people would see like the the obstacles. Sure. I mean, I think that's like the you know. Entrepreneurs are kind of blindly, hopelessly naive in a sense, and the the answer is is yes. Being an outsider totally helps. And once you start talking to people, they're like, "That's going to cost so much money." And I'm like, "Actually, I don't think it does. It's not going to matter." It's like, "Who cares if it doesn't matter? We'll do it anyway." You know, where are you going to find a stadium? It's like, I don't know. Ask me in a week, and I bet you I can find one. You know, as you 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 approach it as a to do list as opposed to like a series of immovable obstacles and. You know, that, that's what we ended up doing. It's, it's funny because I have lots of discussions online with people about this on Twitter because I'm on Twitter all the time. And people always say, this, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter. Like, it's never going to turn into anything. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that you're entitled to your opinion, but like, we're going to build our thing and we're going to teach other teams how to do it too. And then we're going to get all those teams to rally together. And then we're going to try to make change in the, in the pyramid by, you know, pushing this promotion relegation agenda, not just through conversation, by, but by action. And it's not going to take one season. It's not going to take two seasons. It might take 10 seasons. You know, Foursquare's taken eight years to get to the point where I can sit in this conference room and tell you this awesome story. Like, Stockade may take 10 years for me to do exactly the same thing. I'm like, I got 10 years, you know? What am I doing 10 years from now? I don't know. But probably still telling you in a nostalgic way about how we started the club before it turned into this awesome, huge thing. So what were the first steps that you took in putting this together? And how did you go about structuring it? Yeah, I made a list of the things that I thought we would need. Okay, we need a coach, we need players, we need a field, we're going to need kits, and we're going to need fans. Okay, five things, right? Let's just do those five things to be done. And, you know, it's a crazy oversimplification. There was actually a thousand, there's probably a thousand things that have to get done. Someone's got to, you know, order the season's passes and get the insurance for the team and make sure that you have a practice field. And when that practice field is filled, make sure you have another one. You have to have the, the buses and the kits and the socks and the cleats and someone to wash them. And, you know, th- there's, there's just so much shit you got to do, but you don't actually know, in, you know until you start having that first game. We had the first match at home and well, actually that first match was away and everyone got on the bus and everyone got to the game. And we played and we came back and I was like a couple, th- we didn't have, you know, we didn't have enough water. We didn't have, we didn't have some food. We screwed up some stuff here. We, we didn't have a plan for where the team should eat after. It's like, okay, well, we screwed up five things. Like let's, let's fix those for next time. You know, you just, you just kind of learn on the fly and we just treated it as, you know, nothing is impossible. You just do a little bit every single day and eventually all of it gets done. I look back at it now. It's like that season because you know, remember, my daughter was born on May um, May thirteenth, and our first game was on May fifth. So like that season, which was like this crazy, we built this thing, we launched it, it was crazy, people loved it, and then you know we had a newborn at the same time. Like that's a, a huge blur period of my life. But I look back now, it's like we got this awesome, beautiful baby, and we got this crazy soccer thing we're going on, and we're going to double down on it for next year. You know, it all got done, and we got it done with you know on a, on a minimal budget, which well I, I say minimal, it was a lot of money. Uh, and I wrote about that in this blog post. You know, it cost it cost almost a hundred grand to run that club for the year. How did you go about calculating the very initial budget? When we had the idea for this, is what we wanted to do, I got on the Twitters and I reached out to like, "Hey, Detroit, you guys are a team that we like. We want to do this. Can you help?" And you know, some folks from Chattanooga, you know, saw me tweeting about it, and they're like, "Hey, we let's talk about this." Uh, Chattanooga FC, right? Yeah. And um, you know, just got connected to them, got on the phone, and I was like, 
don't know how to do this. We want to do it. Can you tell me how much it costs? And so they walk us through like, okay, when we started our clubs five years ago, this is what we thought. And this is actually the reality. And, and here it is. And, you know, we had those conversations. I was like, all right, this will, uh, we initially thought it would cost like 50, you know, 55, $60,000 to get the team off the ground. And we, we were off. It was like, a, uh, you know, a hundred grand, but that's part of learning it, right? And it's also from looking at it, I can see, okay, these are the things we could cut out. These are the things we could do easier. This is the way we could generate more revenue. So there's a way to, there's a way to, to do it in a way that I think is a little bit cheaper. We're, we're going to figure that out for next season. Um, but no, but we, we learned how to do this by, you know, talking to other clubs. Remember what we were talking about earlier with startups, right? Yeah. There's a great like thread here. If you run into a problem, you know, I call up my fellow, you know, tech founder friend and I say, Hey, how did you solve this problem? And he's like, uh, either here's how I do it or talk to this person because they have a better idea. When we wanted to start a club, who do we do? Like, what do we do? Like, I didn't go to the library and pick up a book on how to start a soccer club. I, I don't even know if those books exist, right? But I went and, and found people that had done it before and I asked them how to do it. You know, like part of the reason we wrote these big blog posts is because like I went to Google and I typed in how to start a soccer club and there, like, there was nothing. There was like a couple blog posts of, but not, nothing substantial. I'm like, well, I'm going to write a manual. We're going to write an instruction manual for how to, how to do this. Like, you know, you buy a box of Legos, it's got an instruction manual, it teaches you how to build the police station. Like, we're going to make that instruction manual, but for how to build this thing. And not not for everyone how to do it, but like, this is our version of how we did it in Kingston on a small budget, amateur players, you know, volunteer staff, you know, modest sponsorship, you know, using community resources. And, you know, what I hope that that post does is inspires, you know, other people to write similar posts next season, this season, whenever, like, oh, here's... Here's how we do it in Phoenix. Here's how we do it in Oklahoma. Here's how we do it, you know, outside Indianapolis, you know, wh- wherever you happen to be, you know, and, and then you start to build up this case, you know, a collection of case studies of these are how teams operate at this level on this budget. And that's the stuff that ends up teaching people how to do it. You're in the, well, it's not officially called the fourth division, but it's like the fourth tier. To somebody who's not familiar with the system here in the States, especially for international listeners, how would you briefly describe that? Yeah, so there's a you know every country seems to have a pyramid in in a way where um with you know, promotion and relegation yeah you, you get a top league at the top and you have you know kind of lesser leagues underneath that and sometimes you know you have three or four teams that are all kind of in like a fourth division like this is you know you look at the the English pyramid and it kind of you know there's like twenty levels in it but when you get down to like level ten you start getting like you know four different leagues on one level you know U.S. just draw yourself a, a pyramid on a on a napkin right the very top you have MLS uh, right below there you have NASL right below there you have USL. And then right below there, you have, that's where you start getting two leagues. You have the PDL, and then you have the NPSL, and then you have a USASA, which is, it's not really, I don't know if it's a league, it's more like a confederation. Like, I'm I'm even confused about how that works. And then there's 10,000 teams underneath them. But we decided that we would join the NPSL. And that was because, like, the teams that we looked at that we admired, you know, Chattanooga and Detroit, like, they were in the NPSL. It's like, that looks like it's the best party around. Let's join that party. Let's go there. Um, it's also like the, the cost is, it's modest, you know, it cost, um, expansion fees are like 15,000 bucks to put a team in and you, you pay $5,000 a year as a league te- as a league fee, uh, which is a, a lot of money, but like you want to do, I, I don't know how much USL is, it's, I think it's like 75 grand. You want to get, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, PDL, uh, USL, I, th- I think you're starting around a million bucks, you know, NASL, I think you're talking a couple million bucks. Yeah, I think it's up to, it's over 5 million, I think. Now. Yeah, it might be in that ballpark, right? But then you get into, you know, MLS and you're talking a hundred million dollars, right? So that, I mean, there's, there's like crazy money here, but, and it's like, I was at this, you know, people were like, you have a, you have a soccer team, like, you have a D, D4, like we didn't pay a million dollars. We didn't pay, 
you know, we didn't pay a hundred million. We, this is, you know, we're, this is kind of small ball, but I think that's where the interesting stuff happens. You know, my thesis on a lot of this stuff is that, you know, if you want the U.S. to be like a great soccer nation, you know, it's like it starts by there being 10 times as many teams in the lower levels and, you know, le- teams that are organized and competing against each other and incentivized to compete against each other and, and incentivized to win. Because if they win, they can move up. And if they move up, it's like, whoa, this, I'm playing a, I'm playing better teams. I'm playing in front of a bigger audience. I'm ma- making more money from merchandise, from ticket sales, from sponsorships. Like that's, you know, you got to think of it as like a, a, a way for, um, you know, think of the teams as businesses. The teams have to have a way to be rewarded for success. And that's the thing that's missing from the from the US. Do you think that'll change over time? Uh, I think someone has to have a plan for it. Like, I don't think you can just sit here and be like, oh, it's going to change. You know, it's going to take a lot of people coming up with lots of plans, you know, coming together and being like, this is the one plan that we think is going to work. We have 50, 100, 200, 1,000 teams that also believe in this plan and this vision. And this is what we're going to build. Yeah, and that's I, I do I do think that changes. I don't think it happens this year. I don't think it happens next year. I think it happens. I think it takes like ten years for it to happen. But I think someone's got to like put their foot down and say like, this is the plan. Like this is the plan. We think it's a pretty good plan. It may not be a hundred percent the right plan, but it's probably eighty percent. So let's rally behind it and we'll fix the other problems as we go. You know? And there are quite a few who are talking about it and tend to get very passionate about it. But yeah, I think be- to your point, it is very important that there are some doers who actually take initiatives and do things versus just sitting on the outside having opinions. Yeah. Well, any, anyone that runs a club is a, is a doer, right? Any any fan that's passionate about this is like a, a doer. But I think everyone's got to have like one thing to rally around just to say like we want promotion is not like that. You can't rally around that because it's not a plan. You know, like you have to have a plan for like, well, what does it actually mean, Right. You know, if you offered teams in our league and the NPSL, okay, now you can get promoted to, you know, whatever league. We'd probably say like, no, thank you. Cause that means I got to put my team on a plane and fly them over to Seattle. Like, holy shit, that's going to cost a lot of money. You know, it costs us a fortune just to get the guys to New Hampshire and Maine. Never mind, you know, traveling around the country. And we'd, once we got out there, we'd probably get our asses kicked anyway. And so that's like, there, it doesn't work yet. It doesn't work for us yet. Right. But. Could it work in a couple years? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how does that happen? Well, you know, you, you have merit-based promotion based on the teams that are performing the best, right? How are they going to be able to afford those, um, you know, to jump up and then travel? I don't know. Maybe there's a subsidy, a financial subsidy from, that comes from one of the leagues above them. Maybe there's a subsidy that's provided by the league that's actually promoting them, um, you know, that's sending them off for promotion. Maybe it's split between the two of them. Maybe there's sponsorship dollars like in some kitty that are reserved for those teams that are moving up. Like these, these are the details that people have to talk about, right? What happens to the teams that end up moving down? Like, like are they ruined financially? Like in, in the English system, like you get your parachute payments and you have your, there's, you get the payments for going up, you get the payments for going down. And, you know, that, that stabilizes those, those clubs in those transition years. And like no one's given that type of thought. Uh, no, I, I don't want to say that. Tons of people have given given that thought. There's tons of people that have theories and plans here, but there's not like one unified plan that we're like, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to do. And I think that that's, that's the type of stuff that's missing right now. What's your approach to uh, marketing the team and creating awareness around it? You know, like we're doing on a small budget, you know, like we, we don't have a million dollar budget. We don't have a, you know, half a million dollar budget here. It's, it's like just 
do what's cheap and easy and free. And social media is free. You know, this idea of like, we earned this exposure because we have a good story because, you know, we were publishing, you know, photos on Instagram or stuff on Twitter or stuff on Facebook. And that's, that's how the story of the club is getting, getting told. In addition to, you know, like I get to talk in this podcast for an hour about what we're doing and why I think it's interesting. And, you know, we get the articles get picked up in other things like in Sports Illustrator or in Vice. And that, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, like the idea is to get the, to get the club to break even financially and then teach people how we did it financially and so like i'm i'm all for you know spending conservatively with it like is there an alternative is there a bizarro way to make this club which is like i go out and because i have experience in raising capital for tech startups i go raise a million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars to make a d4 soccer club like yeah i could probably do that but that's not what i want to do like i want to build the thing small and scrappy from scratch and i want to teach people how to build it like you know, going out and raising some money to try to, to try to do it in, in the, in the NPSL, you know, with no path to promotion. Like that's, that just seems like it's not a good story. And also it's not accessible because the people that are watching, like, I want to start a club. Well, how am I going to raise venture capital? I guess I can't do it. You know, it's like, we're not going to do that. We're going to start the thing small. We're going to build it with volunteers and we're going to start with amateur players. And I'm going to figure out how do we get a paid staff? How do I get paid players? You know, how, how do we get promoted? We don't, we don't know the answers to those things yet. You know, I did the math on how much it's going to cost to pay these players. I'm going to need like another 30 grand to 70 grand to 100 grand in revenue coming in for the club. Like, you know, we don't, we don't have that yet. That might be three or four years away, but like it's an open thing that we talk about. You know, same thing for the staff. Is there, is at some point, do people have jobs with salaries and with health insurance for working on the club? That'd be awesome, right? Is it, is it next season? No, you know, cause like it, it doesn't make the club work financially. I feel like we're kind of figuring this out in the in the open, and um, you know, I to be honest, I always wanted to do that with with Foursquare, right? I wish I kept a log of when we were building Foursquare of like how crazy the the ride was, so I could share it with other entrepreneurs and be like, listen, it's not all roses and sunshine and rainbows. Like this this is hard, and you think it's going to fail all the time, and you come close to giving up a hundred times, you just power through. You know, like I want people to see that in our story, you know, in the stockades are like, we, I woke up in, in January of this year, you know, like stressed out. Cause like, you know, we're having a baby in May. Uh, we, we just got our schedule figured out and it was like, I knew the games were starting in May. We hadn't figured out what we were doing for a coach or a stadium yet. And I remember waking up like in a cold sweat and, you know, talking to my wife and being like, should we, should we do this? Should I just cancel this thing? Like, this is, this is, this, we're over our head, right? And she's like, no, you should do it like this. You want to do this thing. You should do it. We'll just, we'll figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, like that, I, that moment of like almost quitting, I've had that three or four times at Stockade. And I remember having it with like, when I was having that moment with Stockade of being like, I don't know what I'm doing. We're totally out of our league. We shouldn't be doing this. When I had that moment, I, I, I had the empathy of having it with Foursquare, like almost giving up on Foursquare many times and like, ah, just power through this week. Next week will be better. Just power through this day. You know, the next day would be better. And, and it was, right? But that's like, you only know to do that if you've been through it before. And I think that's like, that's applicable to like tech startups, soccer startups, like any entrepreneurial thing that you're working on. You're going to hit these roadblocks and you can either be like, eh, you can either give up and then go back to doing what you're doing before, or you can power through it. And it might take you a day, a week, a month, a year to power through it, but you power through it and there's good stuff on the, on the other side. What does the business model look like and what's the breakdown of, of revenue? Well, thankfully, I have my laptop right in front of me with all my stats and figures. I have the, the blog posts I wrote 
brought up. So um, this year it was uh, merchandise was 55% of our revenue, 54%. Sponsorship was 11% and ticket revenue, season pass, uh, season tickets and, and game day tickets were 35%. You know, add that up, it's 100% of revenue. How does that look next year? Like, are we going to sell more merchandise? I, I think so. Are we going to sell more tickets? I know so. Will we do better with sponsorships? I think so. Uh, so I think the breaks breakdown might be the same, although I expect the the total number to be a little bit higher. Revenue last year was ninety three thousand dollars, which is uh, you know fantastic. And then remember some some of that stuff gets paid back because you make money off the merchandise, but the merchandise costs money to make, so you have to you know discount some of that from it. And the merchandise, it's actually it's become this little almost niche, yeah, cool kind of, little thing that because yeah. I, I see it around every now and then. Yeah, friends of ours, you know, design the the identity for us. And, you know, there's like this version with the words on it. And then there's the, the version of the stockade crest that doesn't have the words, which is also cool. And, um, you know, I, part of my thinking was, you know, I, I want it to be more than just a team. I want this to stand for like, we started a team from scratch, right? You know, cause just a team in Kingston is just a team in Kingston. And there's, you know, there's, hey, there's, there's 80 teams in the league. But if, you know, the, the crest kind of, and the, the logo comes to stand for the idea of like, we started from scratch because we want to change the system because we think it's kind of broken and we think fixing it is good for soccer. Like, that's what I want this thing to, to stand for. Uh, and in my mind, it stands for that. And like, when I see people, I've seen, you know, seen people at airports or at games wearing this and I'm like, Oh my God, you have a stockade crest. That's amazing. I'm like, Oh yeah, I love what this team is doing. You know, I, I was walking down the street in New York and I was crossing the street and uh, a cop rolled his window down. And was like, hey, is that stockade? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I love what you guys are doing. And I was really? like, what? He, he was a, a Cosmos fan. So he, he knows about the Cosmos B. He knows we played them. You know, he's, uh, you know, real amazing coincidence. But I was like, holy cow, this is, this is like a thing. And that's, um, you know, that's like, that's inspiring. You know, that's, that, that gets me fired up. And then I get my friends telling me, it's like, I was at the match and I saw someone wearing a stockade scarf and I talked to them. We had this awesome conversation. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. And for sponsorships, you focus mainly on a local Hudson Valley, Kingston yeah. businesses. Yeah, that's that's what we did for season one, and it's probably what we'll do for season two. But like, eventually, like, I I don't know what happens with this team in a couple of years. Besides for the fact that we keep doing it, but like, how many people are watching online? You know, like one of my fantasies for the club would be that you know fans in South America, Australia, and Europe they tune in to watch the stockade matches. Maybe, you know, not 10,000 people, but enough people, you know, and we haven't a following, a cult following like an indie band would have, like a music band. And, um, you know, then we can use that to get to get bigger sponsorships. Is that crazy? Yes, it's totally crazy. Like, is it doable? I, I don't know. Maybe. So like, that's what we're we're trying. That's kind of the vision I have in my head for some of this stuff. And so but right now, like we, you know, we had a local bus company, Trailways. We had a local radio station, Radio Woodstock on the sleeve. And then we had a local tech company, Dragon Search, on the back. Uh, and that, I mean, that made me super proud and excited. I'm like, we got three local sponsors on this thing. They're playing around New England, you know, raising awareness for the club, hopefully getting their money's worth. And then we got so much press with the club and all the stuff we did. I was like, yeah, all right. Like that's, I think that was money well spent for them. And so I'm hoping we do, you know, we do that next year and we can do that, you know, going, going further. So if, if I want coffee and football on your shirt, what is it going to cost me next season? Uh, I don't know. I haven't, I'll take a sleeve. I haven't made the sponsorship <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, like you go to the blog post, I'll show you, you know, I'll tell you what, what we charge people. Like we charge 10,000 for the front, 5,000 for the 2,500 for the side, and then 5,000 for the back. You know, we, we negotiated those rates with, 
rates with people because um, people wanted like, well, I can offer you this as barter. I can offer you transportation or radio ads. And so everything was kind of negotiable. And I wrote about this in the post, like, were those prices high or were they low? You know, I think given the exposure that we got, they're probably low, but it's fine, whatever. You know, people took a gamble on us and they, they did well. Now let's see what we can do for next year. Like I'll probably, you know, turn it up a little bit um, and we'll see how we, how we end up with the, with the sponsors. What do you do to keep evolving yourself and, and learning about running a soccer club? Do you have any mentors or advisors from the top tier games? Um, you know, not, I don't. That's actually a really good question. Um, I should, you know, kind of like startups. Like we did Foursquare for two years before we started hitting really hard problems and then we had to reach out for people to help. You know, that, that, that's, that's not, not totally true. Like I, there, there are people, like I'm talking to the other teams in our league. I talk to teams in other leagues and, I guess I don't I don't have any big problems yet. Like the big problems are hey, we're small town soccer without a chance to get promoted. Like that that's the problem. And like no one no one's like, "Oh, I know how to fix that." You know, it's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're all kind of in the same boat. How are we going to fix this together?" Like that that's the the opportunity here. Um I might like when it comes down to like, "How did you figure out?" And you know, this is a good example. How do you figure out insurance for the players? Like what is what does that look like? How many how many trainers do you, do you have? You know, when I, when I was getting started last year, I'm like, how, I don't know who, what the squad looks like. I have to buy jerseys. They're expensive. How do I know what the breakdown is between small, medium, and large? You know, like I put that in here because that was a thing that stressed me out. You know, like, I don't want to ha- be short a couple large shirts. Like, this is stupid stuff, but this is the stuff that you stress over. And yeah, so I called up my buddy that was running a team in, in, um, in Ann Arbor. I'm like, what did you guys do? And they're like, this is what we did. I'm like, fine, same breakdown. Let's roll the dice, see how we do with it. But yeah, you, you, you call up someone and ask. I, I don't, I don't have any mentors, but like we are kind of banded together. You know, I never thought about this. Like I got the same, I, you know, there's, 20 tech startup founders I could call, you know, after this because I'm stuck with something and they would help me out. And now there's probably another, there's 10 teams. I bet you I have 10, 10 owners in my phone that I could call up and be like, hey man, can you walk me through this? I, I never even thought of that analogy, but it, it's the same thing. And that's happened like in, in a year. We're getting towards the end. So I'm just going to shoot a set of rapid fire questions. Oh, sweet. This sounds wrap like it up. a game show. Yeah. I know we could go on for another couple of hours. And, yeah, I can and talk about this stuff all day long. I, I, see, I get, I get super excited about this. Like, I feel like with Foursquare, like Foursquare is like we, we, um, we built all this amazing stuff and now we, we got to the point where like we, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't won. We haven't solved it, but like we figured out like what some of the answers look like. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Now we're growing it and building it. And this is great. And it's a different, it's a different set of challenges. And, um, you know, but like the stockade stuff is like totally like there's a thousand things that need to be figured out. Like this stockade today feels like Foursquare 2009 to me. And like you can see, like I just like once I, once I start thinking about it, I'm just like, oh, my God, so much we can do. So much opportunity or so much stuff. Right. But anyway, different, different topic. Well, it, it is a very unique story. And I think also in a unique market soccer growing there's much more interest here u.s yeah in the u.s yeah, yeah. and and that i find obviously fascinating and being part of that kind of journey of of growth of the game yeah and getting more and more people involved yeah hey, let me let me say one more thing off that right so like when we um all the stuff that we ever built we never built it because there was a business behind it we built it because it was fun and we wanted to do it and then dodgeball turned into something that google wanted and we and we sold it to google right and foursquare turned into something that like you know, lots of people wanted to use and then lots of businesses want to license the data. And so that's a big part of our business. Like, and in both cases, people laughed at Dodgeball. This is stupid. Who cares? Who's going to want this? You know, they laughed at Foursquare. This is stupid. You already did this before. It didn't work. You're wasting your time. And people laugh at 
this, you know, like at Stockade, like it's D4. Like, what do you, who do you play? You know, like who are the players? And I'm like, I know it, it, it seems weird, but there's, there's something here. I can't properly articulate what it is, but there's like, you know, you, you just hit on it. There's like soccer in the U.S. is ripe for, for something to come out and explode. And I don't mean just this team. I mean like this league and the movement behind it and I like get the fans in it and like building from the bottom up. Like there's like a volcano of energy that needs to get like focused to eventually erupt. And there's like there's businesses there. You know, like I'm not into I'm not into this because like I think there's like a huge payday in it for us. I'm into it because this is like this is a fun thing to build and like we're really enjoying it. I'm learning a lot people love it like we're having a great time with this but like you know you get another thousand teams to kind of buy into this vision and then you start building businesses then the leagues turn into bigger businesses and there's sponsorship and merchandise like there's there's something here i, I don't know what it is yet and but we're gonna like we're gonna figure it out right as i don't think there's any doubt that we're not gonna and i say we i mean collectively all of the teams working together are gonna figure out how to make this thing work for all of us yeah and there is a, a huge group of people who are in it and who are, who are driving diff- different initiatives. And that, I think, you know, being a European and kind of coming from the from the outside in yeah. is something that I really appreciate because in Europe you have a whole other set of obstacles, you know, in terms of here's how we've done things yeah. for yep. 150 years for this yeah. sport. Now we're definitely getting into okay. the uh, r- rapid fire speed ones. round. <laughs> speed round, got it. And you can elaborate if there is anything you want to elaborate on. Obviously, is it supposed to be like I give you one a one word answer? Whatever, 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 whatever comes to mind. You, exactly. Are these like trick questions? No, no. Okay. No, I'm I'm, I'm pretty pretty <laughs> nice about that. Um, what's your favorite team? Um, U.S. national team. Your favorite player? How can you not love watching Messi? What are a couple of recommendations for someone wanting to follow in your footsteps? Uh, just have an idea for the thing that you th- you want to see in the world and then just go out and make it and then don't let people tell you that you shouldn't make it. What are you uniquely qualified to do? What are you better at than anybody else? I think uh, taking a bunch of unorganizing, uh, unorganized thoughts and then trying to assemble them in an organized way and then explain that and get people rallied around it. Two or three book recommendations. I'll tell you, I haven't read a lot of startup books, but the Ben Horowitz one I think is, is good. I tell anyone to read that hard thing about hard things. Another book recommendation. Um, I don't read a lot of books. I feel embarrassed about that, but I'll tell you the, the book that I read in high school and in college that got me started on everything tech was a book called Being Digital by Nicholas Negroponte. It's probably hilariously outdated now, but it gave me a glimpse into the future of what the future was supposed to be. And I was like, I want to go make that stuff. I want to make the stuff that this guy is talking about in this book. Who's a profile on the Stockade team I should keep my eyes open for once I come to my first game next year? I'll give you two off the top of my head. Jamal Simmons, who is like our um, team captain names, and Michael Kreswick, who uh, played for a long time in England and found himself in the Hudson Valley and, uh, and started playing for us. And so they were, um, you know, fan favorites this season. You get to have dinner with three people in the soccer world. Let's assume language is not a barrier. They may be past or present. So who are the three? Sunil from the USSF, leadership from the MLS, 
you know, get the three folks on the other lead. From USL, NASL, MLS, USSF. Let's get all let's all sit down together and discuss things. It, by the way, not an adversarial conversation. Just just shooting the shit about what soccer should be and and what's going on and what the master plan is. Where would you take them? Where would we go? I would go to, um, I think Carbone in the West Village, an amazing Italian restaurant would be good. I've been itching to go back there anyway. It seems like a good place to have like a big meeting of the minds type of thing. Not, I listen, I don't want to say I'm one of the minds. I'm just saying I'm, I'm curious to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good one. Um, last two, anything you would like to recommend? I know you, you've made a lot of recommendations, but this is an open forum. So is there anything else you would like to recommend? I'll tell you the, the thing that's been, I re, well, I'll give you two answers. Number one, I recommend that people go to the Stockade website, stockadefc.com and browse the online store because our merchandise makes for a fantastic gift. Um, <laughs> sorry. Or you can follow us online. Uh, at, that's a good at, one. We'll, we'll Stockade. I'm going to include all of that in the notes yeah. and, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to edit that out, but I'll include that yeah. part in. We'll, we'll put that in and, de- and definitely your blog posts because oh, cool. those yeah. are phenomenal. There's two of them. It's like yeah. one before the season, yeah. one after. Um, you know, the thing that's been blowing my mind most recently is this TV series called Black Mirror, right? So I just mentioned that Nicholas Negroponte book that I read in high school, high school going into college about like, this is what the future looks like. And this show Black Mirror, which season three is on Netflix, season two and one, I, I don't know where you get them, they're on the internet. It is like, you know, a little bit like dystopian science fiction meets Twilight Zone, but it gives you a glimpse of what the future is supposed to be. And it inspires me in the same way that uh, Negroponte book inspired me like way back in the day and so i've been i think about what's going on in that show like all the time phenomenal i've heard of it but haven't had a chance to watch it yet so i'll definitely pick that up lastly who do you think i should interview here next oh good great question um i I don't know what's the you know just today there was announcement of um of a league in that's like loosely affiliated with d4 the U.S. Um, shit, what is it? Uh, UPSL. The UPSL is mostly a Western league that's focused on states, and they just put out a big announcement like last night about like they're going to do promotion relegation within within their league. Western division, three states. I think it's Arizona, California, and um, I mean I don't I don't know a ton about the league. I just kind of came on my radar yesterday. Talk to them. What, what's what's their vision? Like what what are they? What what do they see? How do they see the world in ten years? Are they just doing their own thing? Do they want to compete with the MPSL? Do they want to work with the MPSL? They want all the leagues to get together. Actually, I mean, forget the dinner question from before. Let's get let's get all the lower leagues together and let's go out to dinner. And I probably need more than four seats, but I mean, that's probably what should happen, right? Where it's like the the people that are most jazzed about making the stuff happen get together in some location and say we got to come up with a plan, right? Like you can see what's happened at the top of the pyramid. We're not involved in that conversation. If we want to build this thing from the bottom up like let's all figure out a way to work together and so i mean it's it's kind of inspiring but also kind of bothers me that i these guys weren't even on my radar like i've done a lot of research here and i'm like i don't even know about this league look at these teams look at this is like a fantastic narrative i don't know anything about and i feel kind of guilty about it and so i want to reach out to these guys and be like what's going on like how, how does this all fit together so that's that's fascinating Fantastic. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. I'll, right. I'll be the moderator and I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll bring my equipment. Are you, and... pay, are you picking up the check at dinner too? <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you so much. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Dennis, 
thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot that, of fun. That, thanks, thanks a lot Sarah. for it's it's been a really phenomenal conversation and and I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate the efforts that you're putting into helping the game and, and growing the game and I really look forward to following the the journey and and coming out to some games next year. Yeah, I mean we're just we're just one of many, right? We're one of many. There's a lot of people that think like this. There's a lot of clubs that are kind of I think have this this fire in them to do something and what you're going to see over the next couple of years is like those people getting organized and when everyone starts getting organized and everyone gets something to get organized around like all hell is going to break loose in an awesome way and like that's going to be a fun show to watch so that's it i'm excited come i won't come back on the show in like a year after we get some of this stuff figured out or two years or five years whenever it is absolutely all right thank cool. you thanks again thanks for having me Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe on iTunes, write a review, tell your friend about it. I would truly appreciate it as we grow this podcast one listener at a time. If you have any feedback or ideas, feel free to send me an email at Sebastian at coffeeandfootball.com. You can also link up with me via Twitter. The handle is at coffeesfootball. Stay tuned for next episode. It will be another amazing one. Thanks again and have an amazing week. up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer ba-da-ba-ba-ba Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.